with the concept of expiration dates, mostly because of milk cartons. When we look at milk cartons, don't you wonder, seriously, expiration date, what happens the next day? If you have milk and it, the expiration date is June 25th, what will happen to you if you drink it today? And so most of us think expiration dates are rolling, right? Because it expired yesterday, smell it, it seems okay. If it doesn't come out chunky, you're probably okay. And we do realize that at some point it will come out chunky and it has expired. It's, it's lost its purpose. But, you know, most of the, ex- they're kind of rolling. You know, it's not a magical thing. So we don't have to worry about it too much. This is how some of my students, where I teach, think about deadlines and grades. They think that it's sort of, they're rolling. Was that due yesterday? Well, let's see. In the syllabus where it says that was due yesterday, yes, that's why it was there like that. Could I hand it in tomorrow? Because, you know, fill in the blank list. Dog died, ate it, peed on it, all sorts of things. Some of them have really pushed it. I had a student who, I was actually at Caleb and uh, Kristen Boyd's wedding in Michigan. Semester's over. I've already handed in my grades. Theirs was an F because they didn't hand in most of the work for the semester, including the final project, which I emailed them multiple times to remind them of. And so they called me and essentially said, is it too late? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually, the deadline actually, they have the grades. We're, we've, we've moved on now, and now you need to. But I can't really afford an F. I know, I'm sorry, but really, this semester's over, so there was that. Expiration dates sometimes feel to us a, a little rolling unless we push it too far. In our life, there are actually deadlines. We think they're not. We act as if they're not urgent. But one of the preeminent teachings of the Bible, which we often slide by, is that we have to act now. There are matters of urgency on our plate. And for some reason, and what we'll explore today, we act as if they're not urgent. There's a a parable that Jesus tells. Jesus tells parables. Parables are stories. And parables have one point not 10, not 20. If you dissect a parable and try to pull out what every character in the parable means, it doesn't help. Characters have, I mean, parables have one point. And so Jesus tells a parable that's very direct. And the parable essentially goes like this. There's a wedding that's about to happen, and there are 10 bridesmaids, let's say. And they're waiting for the bridegroom to come in, and they're going to escort him in with a procession. And they have lamps in order to do the processional and the bridegroom is delayed. The party is extended. He's not there yet, and so they fall asleep. And then there is a call that rings out. The bridegroom is come, and they need to go out and form the procession that leads him into the, into the building. And five of them discover they don't have enough oil to keep their lamps lit. And so they say to the other five, the five slackers say to the five prepared people, can we have some of your oil? You know, is it? And they say, well, no. If we give you our oil, then we don't have enough oil either, and then 10 of us fail. So you got to go out and get some. So the five run out, and they get some, and by the time they get back, it's too late. Doors are closed. They can't get in. They've missed it. They've missed the opportunity to be in the procession. They've missed the opportunity to be at a wedding, and you look at that parable, and you think, okay, I mean, seriously, Jesus, where are you going here? You know, we don't, we don't have lamps, and we don't have processions, and what's the big deal? They missed a wedding. And his point is, 
there are urgent matters in our life that we act as if they're not, and we miss the opportunity to act. Today we're going to look at a letter in the Bible, in the New Testament, that is a precursor to this series we're going to do an expiration date. And as we look at this letter, the preeminent thing I want you to walk away with today is there are urgent matters on your plate right now. And the fullness of life, the life that God calls you to in the midst of this world, is to act on them now, and you will have a tendency not to, and let the opportunity slip by you. The letter is is, uh, to a church in Ephesus, and now as we talked about in the last series on Galatians, what the a lot of the New Testament are, are letters, real letters written to real people with real situations about life, and those letters are attempting to address core issues of what goes on in that city. And, and just briefly, Ephesus was an interesting city. It was a city where not only was prostitution rampant, but it was re- considered religious. It was like your religious duty. And they had temple prostitution. And so somebody could go, I can sleep with a prostitute while going to church, and that'll be good. And in the midst of that society comes this new movement of Christianity, which is teaching something decidedly different about the human heart and soul. And so in the midst of that society where Paul worried, the writer to this writer of this letter, he worried that the people in the church would get lulled into a sense of complacency a lack of urgency about their own lives, about other people's lives, and about the world around them. So he wrote this letter, and here's one of the passages. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Begins the passage by saying, wake up. You're acting as if you're sleeping. Now, sleep, do anybody know somebody who sleepwalks? Really, sleepwalks. There are people who sleepwalk, and when they sleepwalk, it's almost as if they're awake. Almost. And my oldest brother is one who sleepwalks. And when uh, there was a year of time when I, mean, I was going to graduate school and I lived with my brother and his, his wife and kids, and, and there was a night where my brother came out. He'd already gone to bed an hour earlier, and his wife and I were sitting there we were eating Chinese food, and he came out and he joined us, and we thought, oh, how lovely. He's woken up to go have dinner with us. Won't this be fun? And about five minutes into it, as he's eating, we realized he's not awake. We discovered that because he was kind of oblivious to everything that was going on around him. And so we did what most you, of you would do as well. We, we just messed with him. You know, <laughs> we asked him bizarre questions and got him to say weird things. And then at some point he stopped eating went, <laughs> and he walked off and he, and he went back to bed. Never woke up. Asleep the whole time. It was almost as if he was awake. But he was oblivious to what was really going on around him. Paul uses that as an illustration. He's saying, like, wake up, O sleeper. You're sleepwalking through life. Why is he making that point? This is why. A little bit later than that, he said, these are desperate times. You need to wake up, because these are desperate times. We tend to think these are not desperate times. We're sitting here in an air-conditioned building. 
We have good music, a phenomenal speaker. <laughs> Beautiful. Well done. Trust me, you're with it. You've thought about your day, maybe going to lunch with someone. You've thought about your evening. You might have a tough week ahead at work. Desperate times. How are they desperate? Paul says these are desperate times, and indeed, they are. We forget. We act as if they're not. We act as if our days aren't numbered. We act as if our relationships will magically improve. We act as if our character will somehow change, and the patterns of faulty interaction with one another and the world will somehow just go away. We act as if people are not dying around us. We act as if people are not, have not lost their way. We act as if somebody who has sleeping on the street tonight will be okay. We act as if people dying of AIDS are just fine. It's all fine, right? The problem is, you don't believe it's fine. Last week when I talked about HIV AIDS and the pandemic and what we're doing in Zimbabwe, I'm pretty sure if I'd said to you, now, people are dying of AIDS. You know that's bad, right? And it is one of the ways that we can at churches act. We, I, I can beat you over the head with the obvious, such that you'll feel pretty guilty, and you might actually do something about it for a brief period of time. And so I could spend the day telling you HIV AIDS is bad. People are dying. But I'm pretty sure that none of you say, I don't, you know, people dying of AIDS, leaving orphan children, squalor, poverty, that's not a big deal. I'm pretty sure none of you think that's not a big deal. I'm pretty sure none of you think children living on the street is just fine, no, no big deal. I'm pretty sure none of you think that the character flaws within you are good. I'm pretty sure none of you think that if you squander your days and weeks and months and get to the end of your life and feel like you've accomplished absolutely nothing of significance, I'm pretty sure none of you will say, that's just great. That's what I was shooting for all along. See, none of us believe any of that. But we act as if we do. We act as if our lives don't matter. We act as if character change is indifferent. We act as if our relationships are, can stay exactly where they are. We act as if we don't care if children grow up in a better world. We act as if we don't care if people's hearts come alive. We act as if our days are not numbered, and they are. And so Paul says, these are desperate times. Don't, don't fool yourself. Don't act as if you're awake and your eyes are closed, oblivious to what's around you. Don't act as if your soul and everybody else's soul is okay. Now, I understand that does not sound all that happy. But the truth is, the core of Christianity is composed of some really good news and some really bad news. And the really bad news is these are desperate times and our souls are in disarray. That something happened to humanity. That we really got lost and off target that lives made for a connection with God got broken from that, that souls meant to be alive and full of beauty lost that and developed a core which was not beautiful. And so they're desperate times. And that's why the Son of God, Jesus, came to earth to live and to die and to rise again so that desperation should end, not so we could walk through life sort of oblivious to what goes wrong and say, I'm okay. 
So Paul says, wake up. Come on, come on. Stop acting as if you're asleep. These are desperate times. Have you really forgotten the state of the world and the state of your own soul? Have you really forgotten? Wake up and let the light of Christ shine on you so that you begin to live in every moment sensible of the preciousness of every single encounter, of every single day, of every hour that you live. So think of it this way. Paul says, let the light of Christ shine on you. Okay, what does that mean exactly? What, what, is, what, does he want, what does he want that to look like? Imagine this, if you would. We're gonna, in the next seven weeks, we're going to go through seven areas of urgency in our lives, seven areas which we can tend to ignore, we ignore to our own and others' detriment. One of those is our own character. So imagine with me, if you will, that you have one character flaw, just one. Some of you are now categorizing, going through the list, just one. Some of you are saying, character flaw, I think I'm fine. Talk to me later. We'll pick one out. Just one. What do you think the God of the universe the Savior Jesus Christ thinks about you, about that. What do you think he thinks? See, I'll tell you how I act. This is how I act like he thinks. It's not a big deal, Bruce. You're fine. You know I love you, right? We're good. Sure, your that character thing keeps erupting and doesn't help you live that well, and you're kind of squandering your moments and missing your opportunities and not acting in important matters, but we're good. We're fine. I forgive you. It's good. Go on. I act as if that's how Jesus looks at my character, but he doesn't. He says, you're, you're going to miss the moment. See this parable? There's 10 virgins. They missed their opportunity. In the... Uh, we're, as a, as a community at Warehouse, we're reading through the Bible in a year. It's called Project 345, and today's reading for Project 345 is in another letter, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read you one verse out of that because we believe that God is gracious, and He is. He offers us complete forgiveness if we will receive the death of Jesus on our behalf. He is very gracious, but we act as if that graciousness looks like apathy. This is actually what it looks like. Because, but because God was so gracious, so ve- very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let this grace go to waste. Grace motivates. God looks at our life in just that one area, our character flaw, and he says, yes, you have grace. Absolutely, I forgive you, but let's get free, shall we? Don't squander now the opportunity to get rid of the crutches and the coping mechanisms that have plagued you, that you had to live in because you did not have forgiveness and you did not have a relationship with me. Now let's crush that character flaw. Please let us not waste the grace that I've given you. That's what Christianity actually looks like. And so how does the light of Christ shine on us? Well, we actually come to God believing we were made for freedom and for beauty, and we believe that there is a desperateness. We are not oblivious to the world around us. We are not oblivious to our relationship. We are not oblivious to the pain around us, and so we walk into a relationship with Christ, and one of the things is we realize that's actually urgent. Souls made for God, it's urgently important to connect with God, 
And then as we spend time with God, he says, here's the character flaw. Let's get rid of it. Let's rip it out and now live free. Because grace should change how we live, not leave us in the exact same place. There was a, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, we did a series on the Bible called The Story. It went through the entire Bible in 27 weeks. And during the midst of that series, we lined the walls with artwork for every, every piece of the series. And one week, there, were, there was painting, there was sculpture, there was photography. And one week, there was a sculpture. And what the sculpture was, it was a tree with roots coming off of it and a hand grasped around that. And it was meant to depict a passage in the Bible where idolatry, a belief, a way of life had, had plagued people. And what God said is not, that's okay. I forgive you. You're fine. Don't worry so much about that idolatry. It's not a big deal. He said, rip it up. Tear it out at the roots. And so that image to me, it's a visceral image to me. I can still see that piece of sculpture with the hand firmly grasped around the root and ripped out of the ground. Life is desperate. There are urgent matters to attend to. There are things within us that keep us from acting. Rip him out. Earlier in this passage, this is what Paul says The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. In other words, Jesus is, is intending to teach us how to live. It makes your way plain. Yes, you are forgiven, but the gospel is supposed to show you a different way to live. And then he says, so no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. You see, the thing I wonder, the thing I deeply wonder about is what is it that keeps so many of us from acting on what we know to matter? What is it that stops us why do we allow our lives to remain in neutral so that we get to the end of a week or a month or a year and we look back and we go, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where I've gone. I, had, I did some stuff, but I'm not sure there was any change at the core level. My heart is not more than what it was. My impact in the world is not different than it was. My engagement with other people around me is not what it, any more than it was. I haven't invested any more deeply. It's like I'm in neutral. Why? Sleepwalking. Living in grace, but not realizing that grace is intended to make us act, act vibrantly and powerfully on the world around us. Grace is not intended to lull us. It's intended to wake us and pull us out of our graves. So why don't we act? What does sleepwalking look like for you? I don't know. Sometimes we don't act because of fear. Sometimes we don't act because we lack the confidence. Sometimes we don't act because we have such involved coping mechanisms around pain that we've experienced that we are just covering stuff over. Awake. 
Life is before you. A life of deep character change. A life of <laughs> profound impact in children and adults. A life of deep engagement with God. But at some point, we'll have to act and act fully and act vibrantly. And at some point, we'll have to acknowledge that we're not acting. At some point, we'll have to get re very real with one another and before God about our lives and the course of them so that they can be different, very, very different. I'm pretty sure you all don't want to get to the end of this week, much less the end of this series, much less the end of this life, and go, I went through the motions. That was awesome. I went through the motions with my life. I pretty much fooled people into believing that I was awake. I'm pretty sure you want to get to the end of your life and go, it was different. Something happened deeply within me and within, within others. I took advantage of the moments before me. I grasped them, and I lived them out fully. In, a, in just a few minutes, I'm going to show you a video of a guy named Drew Chin who's going to be baptized. And Drew, if I, if I butcher the, the quote, I'm sorry. I think I had it. Oh, I got it. Good. Because Drew says something in his video that just struck me. He talks about the better version of myself that I want to be. There is a better version of yourself than the one right now. And you see it. You glimpse it. And, and the reason why is because it's actually real. Here is the, the beauty and the power of Christianity. When, when Paul says, let, let the light of Christ shine on you and, and now get out there and act on the world it's because there's something deeply true within you. You're not trying some self-improvement course. There is a core of you that is created in the image of God that is the best version of you that can live powerfully without constraints, without coping mechanisms. It's actually there. And so what God is doing is he's saying, I, I, can, I can commit, I can help you, we can change this. We can make the best you come out. You're not trying to craft something that's not there. You're trying to recover something that was always there. And so the beauty, the power, the majesty of Christianity is absolute forgiveness and then raising that core to life of who you were always meant to be so that you can take every moment and make it count for these days and for eternity. Watch Drew's video. So I grew up going to church with my siblings and our parents raised us Christians and pretty interesting because, you know, being Chinese American, I had grandparents that believed in some Buddhist values. My parents were pretty intentional about raising us as Christians. And as a young kid, we went to church every Sunday, I was baptized, um, but I didn't really understand it all. I didn't take time to know it. Um, even my baptism, I remember it. 
but it's just a faint memory, you know, and that was something my parents decided. So for me to come and understand and get to know Jesus didn't really happen until I came to North Carolina. I moved down here about three years ago, and the first time I stepped in the warehouse, I remember just hearing that there was a series, and the words that Bruce said to breathe life into that series, it, it was personal, and I loved it. And it was at that time when he explained Christianity was more about a relationship. And that's when I started to say, okay, I can buy into this. I want to know more about Jesus. He mentioned this Greek word paraclete, which, which means one that wants to help. And the second he said that, I was like, man, like I love that word. I was like, that word, I feel like, describes me, or at least the better version of myself that I want to be. You know, what I love about Christ and his teachings is that there's something for everyone. You know, I'm an educator by choice, and we always look for like the lessons that apply. And the ironic or funny thing is like the Bible is full of them, and I never realized that growing up. It was more of just something you read, and every Sunday and every Wednesday, whenever I'm engaged with people just talking about what Jesus was about, I learned how to apply it today. I think my hope for people seeing this baptism is that they understand that there's a time and place to have that relationship with Christ. When you're ready, He's ready for it. So in my lifetime here in North Carolina, I travel a lot. And the funny thing is I realized that when I couldn't be at Warehouse as much as I wanted, I couldn't be at these other events because my job just took me away from it. But what I came to understand is that I didn't necessarily need warehouse to be fulfilled with my relationship with God. Um, as I would travel, I'd meet these people that I never met, or I would just have conversations with students or other employees, and, and Christ would come up, and they would talk about their relationship, and it just, it excited me, and it fueled this fire that I felt in warehouse. And what I learned is that wherever I go, God is with me, and whomever I meet, I'm able to see God in them and they're able to see God in me. And I think that's the beauty of being a, a sojourner, per se, is that wherever you're traveling, he is my constant. He's my travel companion. And as much as I love the warehouse community, I know that when I go on and travel the world and the country, I'll not always have them, but I'll have God right by my side.